Hi, I'm Ollie Neal, and you're listening to episode 18 of the Equip Project podcast. For the past week, newspaper headlines and TV news bulletins have been dominated by one thing, a new virus technically called COVID-19. It's spreading across the world and is part of a family of viruses called coronavirus. Most coronaviruses just give us flu-like symptoms, but this one seems to be different. COVID-19 isn't as deadly as SARS or MERS, but it may well be more infectious. And I'm joined once again by Jim Crooks to talk about how we might think biblically about this crisis. Jim, this is a serious threat facing the world, isn't it? Well, the problem with that question is that nobody really knows. It's potentially very serious. As we speak, nearly 90,000 people have been infected, over 3,000 people have died, and the virus has spread to over 60 countries. Yeah, it's, um, it's really sad to see the impact this has had on, on so many people. Apparently, 80% of the people who get infected will only experience mild flu-like symptoms, but the other 20% will require hospitalization. Yes. The fatality statistics vary a lot with age. Someone of your age has a 0.2% chance of dying. I have about a 2% chance. And 15% of people over 80 will die. People with heart or respiratory conditions or people with diabetes have a greater risk of dying. The COVID-19 virus was first detected in China late last year. Apparently, the outbreak started in a fish market in the city of Wuhan. But the internet is alive with conspiracy theories, isn't it, Jim? (laughs) Some things never change. There's this professor in Taiwan who's claimed that the COVID-19 was synthetically produced. The most common conspiracy blames the Americans for releasing it in China to destroy its economy. But the maddest one was told to me last night uh, by one of my fellow elders. Wuhan City is the centre for most of China's huge 5G technology development. Uh, And coincidentally, the cruise ship that was quarantined in Asia used 5G communications. So the lunatic fringe of the internet is blaming 5G technology for the virus. Now, the view of most sane people is that the virus transferred across to humans from an animal. Yeah, I understand that experts actually suspect the whole thing started off with bats and then transferred to other animals before being transferred to humans. Yes, apparently the analysis of COVID-19's genome identified an 88% match with other bat virus types. Uh, So the bat theory seems quite likely. So in terms of thinking about this conversation from a biblical perspective then, Jim, I guess one of the first questions is, what does this crisis tell us about how God has constructed the universe? Why are things like this allowed to happen? Well, it might be better to ask, why do things like this happen so rarely? The astonishing thing about human beings is the sophistication of our defense mechanisms, the ones, things we have to keep us alive in a hostile environment. So let me make the positive case for a moment, Ollie. When Charles Darwin cooked up his theory of evolution, he thought that a human cell was just a simple blob of protoplasm, a, a tiny bit of jelly. We have, uh, I think, 35 trillion cells in our bodies, and each one of them is as sophisticated as a miniature city. It has a transport system, power stations, waste disposal systems, information libraries, and so on. And this little city is managed by little molecular machines, little nanorobots who march up and down specially constructed highway systems. Then there's DNA, which is an astonishingly sophisticated software coding system that controls everything the little robots do. Then there is our immune system, and it acts a bit like the police and the army in our society, protecting us from foreign invaders. And our immune system is mind-bogglingly complex. Information is passed back and forth between hundreds of millions of cells. 
cell surfaces are covered with hundreds of protein markers that identify friend from foe. Uh, when cells are recycling material, they, they take little tiny portions of their unique genetic makeup and they then display them on the surface of their cell. Uh, in the womb, the immune system of a baby is programmed to recognize itself by learning what these surface markers look like. Now, all that signaling allows the soldier cells, if you like, to go about their work. These white blood cells called T cells and B cells are trained how to fight. Now, I'm not making this up, Ollie. They go through a sort of cellular boot camp. If T or B cells fail to recognize their specific enemy or they show any reactivity against friendly cells, they are tagged with proteins prompting self-destruction. And only about 2% of manufactured cells make it through the boot camp. So the T and B cells have been programmed to deal with over a billion invader types. So the human body's immune system is an astonishing feat of engineering. How anyone can think that it evolved through ultimately random processes is beyond me. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. So my answer to your question, why has God allowed us to be attacked by this virus, is to make the case for the hundreds of millions of sophisticated attacks we are protected from. Some of the animations of what goes on in the human body on YouTube are amazing, Jim. Um, We are hugely complex creatures designed, as you say, to live in a hostile world. At a more practical level, it does look as if the transfer from animal to human occurred because of poor hygiene standards in the fish market in China. Yeah, it sort of makes those obscure hygiene laws in Leviticus start to make more sense. God's people weren't allowed to eat bats. They weren't allowed to eat other unclean animals. And there are chapters upon chapters about how to deal with infectious diseases. I mean, that is pretty sophisticated quarantine laws for a Bronze Age tribe. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Is that why all those laws are recorded in books like Leviticus? Well, hygiene was certainly a vital reason. Over a million people living in a refugee camp, well, they should have been wiped out by an epidemic infection within weeks of leaving Egypt. Uh, But the man, Barak, uh, was amazed at how well-ordered the camp was. Hygiene and careful treatment of animal slaughter kept the Israelites alive. But of course, the laws were also put in place to teach the Israelites some really important truths about God and humanity, and we can maybe talk about those things in another episode. Just thinking about those Old Testament books, there might be some people who liken this potential pandemic to a plague. Uh, like the plague we find recorded in the book of Exodus. What do you think about that? Well, there are nine plagues recorded in Exodus, followed by one final judgment. Now, the plagues were horrible things, plagues of lice and frogs and flies and so on. And the first thing to say is that God was using these plagues as arguments. He was trying to convince Pharaoh that the earth was the Lord's and that the Egyptians could not live self-sufficient lives. And they're divided into three sets of three. Uh, So the first set of three plagues seemed to defile the land when all those bodies of rotting frogs were piled up. Egypt literally stank to high heaven. And that was God's point. What happens when a society shuts God out of their lives? Well, the first thing is that society becomes defiled and unclean. The Nile turned to blood to remind the Egyptians of their horrific genocide of male Hebrew babies who were thrown into the Nile. And that casual violence caused Egypt to stink to high heaven. The second trio of plagues are all about how rebellion against God ruins lives. And in that trio, a distinction is made between the Egyptians who lived under the plagues and the people of God and Goshen who escaped the plague. It's a straightforward fact that when people live by God's standards, they don't ruin their lives in ways that are all too common in surrounding society. And again, that was God's argument. 
and it convinced all of Pharaoh's advisors. They pleaded with him to knuckle under and admit that God was God. But Pharaoh refused, and he ended up bringing eternal disaster upon himself. So the plagues of Egypt are best understood as arguments. God is presenting evidence that the earth is his, and that human beings living in rebellious self-sufficiency will create a society that stinks to high heaven. Um, okay, Jim, that, that makes sense, but you didn't quite answer the question about whether COVID-19 is a plague or not. What, do you, what, is, your, what is your take <laughs> on that? Uh, no, I don't think it is. But that's not to say that God isn't trying to teach our society something here. In fact, there are some really interesting lessons to be drawn from the crisis. So just think of the financial meltdown in the past week. Global markets have panicked. $6 trillion wiped off stocks last week, the worst since the 2008 financial crash. Global economic growth could be cut in half. In the UK, FTSE 100 companies have shed almost 13% of their value. And the travel industry has had the worst shock since 9-11. Yeah, those images of ghost towns in China are really frightening. People quarantined in their homes, not allowed to leave, only a dwindling supply of vegetables in the local shops. If that sort of scenario comes to the West, if consumers start to shun shopping malls, and high streets with fear of getting the virus, economies could be pushed further into recession. And, and that's quite a, a scary prospect, Jim. It is. Have a look at this uh, plastic 10-point note, Ollie. At the moment, it will buy me, I don't know, four coffees and some newspapers, or I could exchange it for a meal at McDonald's. Now, when you think about it, that's a very curious transaction because the piece of plastic is actually worth nothing. It's no intrinsic value. It simply represents a shared confidence that I and the McDonald's server have about the future. She is happy to take this little piece of plastic because she's confident that in the future she can exchange it for some other useful goods. So the entire global financial system is built on shared confidence about the future. But here's the problem. What happens when that confidence evaporates? Way back in 2009, uh, I happened to be at a meeting on Lombard Street, which is opposite the Bank of England in the city of London. And it was the day after Lehman Brothers had collapsed. And in those days, it really did look as if the global financial system would crash. One of my colleagues was not paying any attention to the discussion in the boardroom. He was surreptitiously reading emails on his BlackBerry under the desk. Now, he, he wasn't under the desk, I understand, <laughs> the BlackBerry was. And suddenly the blood literally drained from his face, and he jumped to his feet and he blurted out, AIG is going down. Now, that may not mean much to you, but AIG was a 120 billion behemoth insurance company on Wall Street. And if it went down, then the barbarians really were at the gates. Needless to say, the meeting broke up, and I walked past the Royal Mint and down Cheapside to my next meeting, and at every street corner, little groups of frightened bankers were huddled together. And you know, Wally, the words of Revelation chapter 18 came into my mind. You know those words which describe the fall of Babylon the Great. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon city of power, in one hour your doom has come. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? So maybe the big lesson here is that this outbreak might be a reminder to our society that we shouldn't get too proud or self-sufficient. Ultimately, we are contingent beings. We rely on God for every breath that we take. And it might be no bad thing if people's confidence in the pride of man was shaken a bit. 
In the second chapter of his prophecy, Isaiah says these words, The haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and the idols shall utterly pass away. People shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? It's a magnificent poetry, isn't it? Um, But there's something really specific about this virus that got me thinking, Ollie, uh, and it's to do with the way it spreads. There must be something significant uh, about the way this crisis is unfolding, one person at a time. So a traveller coughs into his hand and then places that hand on a handrail, or someone sneezes and the droplets catch a passerby's hands. Such a simple one-on-one transaction, and yet inexorably, this thing spreads across the whole world. Now, you're probably going to accuse me of spiritualising a completely physical process here. But academics do talk about social contagion. They say beliefs and behaviour can spread from family to family and individual to individual until they become social norms. Over 200 years ago, uh, the German author Goethe published a book called The Sorrows of Young Werther. It was a very dark piece, and it ends with the hero committing suicide. And not long after that book's publication, there was this enormous wave of suicides that swept across Europe. And some countries were so worried that they banned the book. And it was that incident that triggered research on the idea of social contagion. I understand Richard Dawkins took that idea further with his concept of memes. <laughs> he actually invented the word meme. I think it's hilarious. A Dawkins' attempt to explain the power of religious ideas has become reduced to cute photos of cats on the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Dawkins treats religious ideas like a virus and argues that they live by finding unsuspecting hosts to live in and continue the business of propagating themselves. Yeah, he basically takes his, you know, his selfish gene theory and he applies it to the spread of ideas. Now, of course, we don't accept the way he applies meme theory to religious ideas. But the more general concept of social contagion is, is a very interesting one. There was some fascinating research published in 2018 about how anorexia, or gender dysphoria, seemed to develop in clusters of adolescents. Take gender dysphoria. The technical term here is a thing called rapid onset gender dysphoria. And the academics who led the research argued that something like gender dysphoria can be propagated through social contagion. Now, of course, the transgender community reacted with predictable hostility. But it at least illustrates the thought that intrigues me, that ideas can be spread from one mind to another by a process that isn't a million miles away from the spread of COVID-19. It seems like a very plausible model to me, Jim, but I don't quite see how it can give us practical help as Christians. Well, think about how we started this conversation off. I waxed lyrical about the body's immune system. God has designed us to live in a hostile environment, living under constant attack from fungi and bacteria and viruses. He doesn't require us to live in a hermetically sealed plastic bubble in order to survive. The crucial thing is that we keep our immune system in good working order. And I do wonder if that same principle applies at the level of ideas. Why are so many young Christians so susceptible to dangerous and false ideas that float around in our culture? Why do they get spiritually sick so quickly? Maybe it's because our spiritual immune system is not in good nick. So how would you describe this spiritual immune system, Jim? Could you say it's a biblical worldview that has been built into the mind to enable us to develop the mind of Christ? I think that's an excellent description. 
In Second Corinthians, Paul says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, that last clause talks about taking thoughts captive. And the picture of a white T-cell swarming all over a virus, neutralizing it and marking it for destruction, isn't too far off the mark. I can remember our very first episode. We seem to be obsessed with cake, if you remember. And we, <laughs> you asked me why... Bring we, back cake. Bring <laughs> back cake, that's what I say. <laughs> and you asked me why we launched this equipped podcast. I vaguely remember talking about the mistakes which the Christian community uh, had made in their approach to youth work over the last few decades. I think I said we chose to isolate rather than inoculate young Christians. We quarantined them in giant teenage creches called youth fellowships. But that strategy cannot work in the long term. Only a biblical worldview built patiently into the mind through years of good Bible teaching will inoculate us against the false ideologies that float in the ether of this culture. One final question, Jim. Should we be worried by this coronavirus? Well, we should be wise and vigilant. Follow the very sound advice coming from Matt Hancock and others. Uh, I was in in the bathroom earlier this morning washing my hands, and uh, I remember Jacob Rees-Mogg's advice that uh, to make sure you're washing your hands for the right length of time, you should sing the national anthem. So I had an outbreak of patriotism briefly. Then we should pray that the outbreak will abate quickly. We need to pray for those who have to take really difficult decisions. But here's the thing. There are no cracks in the Christian floor. Some of us might get infected. Some of us might die. But that's okay, because it will mean that God has taken us home to heaven. For the Christian, whatever happens, the best is yet to be. Yeah, I think that's super helpful, German. I think it sets us apart from a world in panic and hopefully is a great testimony and witness to those around us that we really do have a hope beyond this life. Thank you for listening to episode 18 of the Equip Project podcast. Uh, It's been great having your company. If you have a question you'd like to ask or a comment in response to this episode, do email us at theequipproject at gmail.com or reach out to us via Instagram.